Hello and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. This is your host, Kirsty Adams, editor of SHD Logistics magazine. This episode, we're talking about winning retail logistics operations. We also have property news with David Tame, and David Tran heads to Northampton to interview sports retailer Decathlon. Episodes guests include Caroline Luxton, Head of Logistics at online retailer Lovecrafts. The companies that are really moving things forward are the smaller companies who are trying to really utilise and efficiently use their warehouses. You know, it's all going to well buying a few billion pounds warehouse and sticking robots in it, but actually how much analysis is being done and how efficient and effective that is and what's the return rate on your spend on that. Professor Neil Ashworth. Chief Commercial Officer at Yodel and CEO of Click Plus. Hotel Chocolat, that fascinating brand that had its origins in the online world and has developed a presence on the high street that is very much in keeping with its digital capability. Al Jerry, founder and CEO of Zigzag Global. We think Selfridges are making a really big step change in there behaviour. We've seen them transform their business over the last 12 to 18 months and they're making some very exciting steps forward which is good to see from a very traditional retailer. So we picked this episode's main topic, the new king of retail, because we're keen to discuss who's doing retail logistics best right now or at least this month. What's helping them survive a quite aggressive period of change? What do you think? I've actually asked two of my colleagues into the room as well, which is a bit too small, to find out what they consider to be a winning retailer. My name is Shane Herring. I am a graphic designer for the Materials Handling Division, which covers the SHD Conference, IMHX and SHD Logistics Magazine. Shane, thanks for coming in here. That's okay. Thanks for having me. That's all right. (laughs) So I just want to ask you a simple question. I see you getting parcels delivered to your desk all the time. Who's your favourite retailer? At this minute right now, I would say Cardo because it's my food. Well, you don't get your food shopping delivered to your desk. Exactly. I um, love my foods. Why Cardo? I think it's because I like the way they are logistically very organised, which is very much what I'm like as well. And I like their app. It's very easy to use and it's just very simple and easy for me to organise myself and my shopping when it's coming. So. Would you describe yourself as a digital customer? I am more so, yes. So my name is Rihanna Castle and I currently look after the marketing for IMHX for SHD Logistics and its events such as the conference and the awards. You may remember Ree from the last episode of the podcast, Pills in the Post. Ree, who's your favourite retailer? I don't get any of my shopping delivered, like supermarkets or anything like that, so mm. I think I'd have to go to more like fashion. I found my experience with a retailer like Zara. I find their online and in-store experience quite seamless, so it's returns are super easy. It's an important thing for me. Go Zara, I'm a big fan. Reed, what were you working on when I dragged you in here? I was actually getting the Logistics Awards website ready because entries are now open. Okay, if you do plan to enter a project, please visit www.logisticsawards.co.uk. Thank you. 
Just one last thing. If you don't receive the print edition, please remember that you can access it online at www.shdlogistics.com. Here's Assistant Editor David Tran with the news. Thanks, Kirsty. In the news, Marks & Spencer is to invest £750 million in a joint venture with Ocado that will give it a home delivery service for its food offering for the first time. The joint venture, which starts when Ocado's existing sourcing agreement with Waitrose ends in September 2020, gives MSA a 50% stake in Ocado's UK grocery retail business. The project accelerates MS Chief Executive Steve Rowe's vision to create an online store for MS Foods, the retailer's most successful commercial department. In other news, Honda is to close its factory in Swindon in 2021, when the current model, the Civic, reaches the end of its life cycle. Some 3,500 jobs at Honda of the UK manufacturing will be affected, along with an estimated 10,000 jobs in Honda's supply chain. The Swindon plant currently produces 150,000 cars a year, some 90% of which are exported to the EU and the United States. Honda said that after the closure of the Swindon plant, the company's European HQ would continue to be located in the UK. Tim Waples, former chief executive of Doosan Forklift Trucks, has been appointed chief executive of the Forklift Truck Association. Waples spent 12 years with Doosan Industrial Vehicles and was president of the British Industrial Truck Association between 2016 and 2018. Waples succeeds Peter Harvey, who is leaving the FLTA after six years. French sports goods retailer Decathlon has said there's an option to extend its new and larger warehouse facility in Brackmills, Northampton, after relocating from an older site in the same area last October. The 275,000 square foot facility is 85,000 square foot larger than its old site and incorporates high storage and racking space, with mezzanine space dedicated for online order picking, increasing capacity by a further 180,000 square foot. The retailer also has the option to increase the site by another 92,000 square foot. This would take total warehouse coverage to a massive 550,000 square foot. Ricardo Rodriguez, UK expansion manager of Decathlon, said his company has invested a lot of time and investment in the company's well-being, with free coffee available to warehouse employees and a free gym. Here's what he had to say about how the company is leaving a positive mark on the local community through the launch of this new facility. We are working with Northampton University, we are doing the recruitment days, logistics, as far as I'm concerned, mm. has this stigma of being boring and quite grim. We want to change that. We want to make logistics a very sexy activity. We do recruitment days. We're working with Brackmills Bid. We're launching Brackmills community from our site. We are mixing with the community. We are inviting people to come over. We are planning to, to organize uh, sport tournaments for the Brackmills community. And we have a click and collect that we've spread the word about within the community of Brackmills. We just want to be a part of the Brackmills state community and the logistics in general. Hear more in our extended interview with Decathlon later in this podcast. Finally, the speaker lineup for this year's SHD Logistics Conference is confirmed. The conference, to be held on Tuesday, the 14th of May, at the British Museum in London and is themed Transforming Logistics Through Technology, the programme will feature NHS Supply Chain as keynote. In their speaker session, Supply Chain Director Chris Holmes and Logistics Director James Turpin will both discuss how the NHS is positioned to deliver a strong supply chain 
amongst this current age of automation and digitalization. The conference will also feature insightful speaking sessions from Anheuser Busch InBev, who will discuss their new automated warehouse in South Wales. Its warehouse in Magor has the ability to hold over a staggering 20 million pints of beer. Kingfisher, XPO Logistics and Prologis also feature on the program, discussing the very latest trends in logistics technology, automation, as well as operations. For more details on how to attend, please visit the SHD Logistics Conference website at www.logisticsconference.co.uk. That's all for now with the news. Here's David Tame with what's happening in the world of logistics property, including some very interesting news about a shopping centre giant. Thank you, David. Now for the property news. As Brexit bubbles in the unseasonable February heat, I wonder if this might be a good moment to pause and consider something that, had the weather not been quite so good, I might not have bothered with. It's shopping centres. I know, I know, I know. Shopping centres, what have they got to do with SHD logistics? But the answer is they have an awful lot to do. Let's take two sets of very significant shopping centre landlord financial results that came out this week. Into own the Trafford Centre in Manchester, the Merry Hill Centre outside Birmingham, and a heap of other well-known retail destinations. This week they announced that their the value of their property portfolio had plunged, plunged really is the word here, by 13.3% in a single year, down £1.4 billion. Pounds. I'll repeat that, they wiped £1.4 billion pounds off the value of their property assets. Worse still, the drop in the value of the property assets means that the debt to asset ratio of the business is now way out of line. Things are only going to get worse. The chief executive cheerily told shareholders that their net asset value, that's the relationship between the share price and what the company owns, its value of its physical assets, will more or less have halved, more or less, in the course of 24 months. That is serious stuff. The same is true of Hammerson. Now, Hammerson owned Brent Cross, Birmingham Bullring, Bristol's Cabot Circus. Their financial woes were such that they've put most of their property development programme on hold and they're planning to sell another £500 million worth of assets to pay down debts. It's the same story as Into, really. One of the centres that's going, or the development that might not happen, is Croydon's, which had been expected to be a big money spinner for them, but plainly they don't think that anymore. Why does all this matter? Well, it matters to sheds because the woes of the retail landlords fully and directly explain why so much money is pouring into building warehouses. If you were an investor with a few zeros to invest, you would not put them into shopping centre giants for the reasons I've just explained. The, the value of the assets is plunging. Instead, you're going to look for somewhere else and the somewhere else you're going to look is the industrial sector. No wonder developers in the shed world are so perky. This week Park Hill Estates had one consent for 488,000 square feet of new development in Walsall. Work has started on a £38 million development in Staffordshire. 
rather smaller this time, Liberty Park, Litchfield. It's going to be about 170,000 square feet. But it's that's big, that's big. And it's even more substantial in Warrington, where Eddie Stobart are once again reviving plans for a 630,000 square foot extension to their existing distribution hub. Last time they fell into a bit of bother with the local planners. They hope this time things will be more smooth. On the other side of the Pennines, at Logic Leeds, a 361,000 square foot Yorkshire development is to go ahead thanks to a funding deal inspired by just the kind of dynamics I've been explaining. And that leads to a thought. Nothing has changed, has it? Nothing has changed. That familiar Brexit slogan seems to apply to the industrial property market as well. Whilst the retail sector continues to be unsettled, the industrial sector gains the advantage. That's where the money's going instead of into shops. It's a kind of shed groundhog day. And maybe that's an unfamiliar kind of situation, but it's a problem the market now faces. If there's a motto, I suppose it would be keep on trucking. And that concludes the property news for this month. So who's winning the game of retail transformation? We know that Amazon pretty much has all the aces, but let's pop them aside for now. Which retail operations deserve a crown and why? Is it their returns policy? Their reverse logistics? Is it the ones that know its digital customer best? In this episode, Selfridges, Whistles, Hotel Chocolat, Nike and Alibaba get the top retailer nod from some of our guests, which include Lovecrafts, an award-winning startup, Zigzag. But first, we have retail expert and former guest Neil Ashworth, who convinced me last year and possibly you that the high street is not dying; it's simply transforming, and to just be a bit more patient. I am Neil Ashworth. I am chief executive of Collect Plus and chief strategy officer at Yodel. So, who are the winners, Neil? I think some really interesting things that are happening on the high street. I'm not necessarily going to look on this occasion at the UK. I think there are some great retail brands in the UK and ones that are really winning. Probably one of the ones that I'd call out there will be Hotel Chocolat. I think that's a fascinating brand that had its origins in the online world and has developed a presence on the high street that is very much in keeping with its digital capability. So they've translated the online consumer into an offline consumer and maintained the connection with them, both in the digital and in the physical world, and have a very, very distinct proposition, uh, continually renewing, continually adding new products. And the experience that you receive as a customer, whether that's online or offline, is consistent and differentiated, and I think that's really important. If you then look more broadly across the world, there's some really interesting things happening. You know, we've seen challenges in what you would call large high street store operators. So the challenges that we've seen with the department stores uh, has been very well heralded and broadly written about. But I think it's really interesting to see in New York uh, during 2018 that Nike opened their House of Innovation. That's a 70,000 square foot store, which is not insignificant by anybody's measure. And to open a store that offers all things Nike, but really to the disturbing sports enthusiast. Where is that store? Fifth Avenue in New York. It's quite trailblazing in many ways. Quite simply, that level of sportswear in that size of store is remarkable in itself. But 
to actually bring into play a number of digital solutions. You know, so taking the whole Nike ID thing onto a new level, I think is really quite interesting. The really interesting development during 2018 has been the Hammer store from Alibaba. Alibaba have designed a store with a digital core. So if you were going to design a store with a digital presence from its very heart, what you would get might be the Hammer stores that have been opened out in China. And essentially are what I would call the Amazon Go stores, almost on steroids. They're absolutely designed around a digital customer. You can only shop with them using your mobile phone. But as you go around and select items, you can understand the provenance of the goods that you're considering buying. You can look at all of the nutritional value. You can get all of the recipes and the associated shopping ideas. But then it actually leads itself into fulfillment as well. So you can choose to take the goods with you. You just go around the store and select the items, then have somebody pick them for you and then bring them to you. Or you can actually have them delivered as well. So it's a completely tailored offer according to your particular challenges on that particular shopping trip. So whether you have the time to do the shop, you can just place the order online. If you've got the time to browse the store and select your fresh products yourself, you can do that and take it home. Or you can actually pick and pack the product for you and uh, either deliver it or, or present it to you as well. So it's a completely different kind of approach. I think that's really quite interesting. With such a digitally centric approach, how could that impact or improve the back-end operation? The first stores have been built with the back-end operation very much in mind. What we've seen here is something that has been built from the grassroots upwards. So rather than bolting something onto an existing store, this is actually a store designed around the way in which the consumer wants to acquire the goods. The fulfillment proposition is integral whether that's picking, packing, or absolute delivery, being built with all of those things in mind. And therefore, the layout of the store is adjusted in accordance with that. I think it's a really, really interesting way of going about things. And I suppose in some ways, what we're seeing here is a store that's designed for the 21st century, using 21st century thinking, rather than something that's been evolved. HMV was a really big part of my 20th century experience. I'm interested to hear what Neil thinks of their situation. I think there is a place on the high street for a music specialist still. I think it follows the pattern of other retail trends in that there will be fewer but better stores. So I would expect to see fewer but better HMV stores as we go forward. There are very much stores that are destination-led, are very much provided for the experienced, hungry consumer. So it's all about the way in which you consume the product. So I found an experienced hungry consumer. Len's been collecting vinyl since 1983. He's a record collector and a DJ with a weekly show on Back to Back FM. I'm 50 now, so when I first started buying records, probably was about 14 or 15, used to uh, go to the independent record shops in London in the early 80s and buy imports from there. And I've continued to buy records ever since. I think there's quite a romantic view of HMV. Again, going back to our price, HMV, Tower Records, I mean, those were the places where you would get sharp sevens. You know, you would go in there and you could buy ABBA or you could buy Madness or you or whatever you were buying at the time. And I think everyone has quite a romantic view of, of their first record that they bought or the first time they went into HMV. Len, you told me about online distributor that you mm. use for your specialist record. Who is that? That's Juno. They're probably the UK's largest distributor of vinyl across Europe and the UK. 
Juno offer a service which is basically people being able to buy reissues of classic vinyl or underground vinyl that wasn't available in those times. And how quickly can they deliver a oh, product? It's an astounding supply chain. I mean, I can literally go online now and order a record from Juno and it'll be with me next day. And that's not special delivery, that's just, you know. There's a lot of crowdfunding going on now where there's certain specialist communities which will crowdfund a record. So this would be more on the sort of jungle or drum and bass side. They'll crowdfund for 100 copies and then repress it and sell those. So that's quite niche. And that's it on a much smaller scale in terms of supply chain. But, you know, again, it's about demand, isn't it, what people want. Do people want to buy an Elton John or a Fleetwood Mac record? Some of them do. You could probably go and buy it for a quid in a charity shop or go on to one of these websites like Discogs, which catalogues every record in the world and people sell on those sites again for a couple of pounds. So it's interesting how HMV have suffered. There's been a lot on the news in the last month or so on HMV, but there's also been quite a bit on LinkedIn. General Manager Distribution at the company, Gary Holiday, is highly recommending some members of his team on LinkedIn. If you're looking for new team members and you need the type of skills they'll have, why don't you connect with Gary Holiday? He wasn't able to speak on the podcast this time, but we're hoping to have him on in the future. Here's Caroline Luxton, Head of Logistics at Love Crafts. These guys are winning on the knitting and the sewing scene. And as Caroline says during the interview, by its very existence, they are transforming retail. Be warned, listeners, the knitting scene has changed since our nans knitted our school jumpers. It's pretty trendy and pretty mindful now. Here's Caroline. Lovecraft, as you can probably gather from the name, is predominantly craft-related and currently sits within the knitting, crochet and sewing sectors. But with the intention that obviously that model will grow and become sort of an all-encompassing craft model to include paper craft or quilting or whatever else that falls under that category. So it's particularly unusual, I guess, for us because the craft sector has always been, I would say, relatively undigital. <laughs> People have generally gone and bought their craft supplies from local craft stores, from their sort of local knitting shop, maybe even from hobby craft, if you know they're looking for say a range of different craft products. There's very few people really doing it online and certainly doing it online well. So although a relatively simple model initially, which is simply making sure products were available in a wide range online for customers. That actually hasn't been done by many other people and certainly, certainly not well. So just as a model in itself, because of the nature of the business, we're talking about a huge number of SKUs and single products available for sale to make sure customers can actually get what they want. As an average, our knitting and crochet categories have 70,000 or so products available for customers to purchase, which I think is Probably one of the reasons not many people do it online, actually, <laughs> because trying to make that many products available for a relatively niche market is quite a task. But that's mostly because, say, for example, when we're talking about yarns, you've got multiple different dye lots and different size needles and whatever else. So in terms of transforming retail for craft, just, I think, from its very existence, it's, it's certainly doing that. But then I'd say there's sort of those more subtle ways in the background. We're working, certainly, to try and make it transform retail. One of those being sort of like through carriers and services, Again, I think there's a perception that within the craft sector, our customer base is slightly older. And actually, that's proving not to be the case more recently now. With so many people turning to craft, whether it's knitting or crochet, but you know, certainly to you know, scrapbooking and things like that within the UK and further afield, actually, our demographic is becoming younger and younger. So those customers who perhaps before weren't expecting next day, same day deliveries, or, or certainly options for delivery, 
are now demanding that bit more. So it means we have to be a lot more dynamic. And I think gone are the days where you can sort of pop in a carrier solutions piece of software, you know, a, a Metapack equivalent, and we want it to be the cheapest possible delivery service to this postcode. And the customer doesn't need to know who it's coming with, and they will be quite happy with it turning up with their postman the next day. Actually, that's not what our customers want anymore. They want a range of options, just like, I guess, your fashion retailers. And they're actually that bit more demanding, I'd say, because generally, if they're ordering, they're ordering for a project they're working on. They need it when they need it, and they need to turn up on time, and they aren't prepared to wait another 24 hours and get it free, actually. If it means they want, they can pay for it and get it this afternoon, they happily do so. So I think we're having to be a little bit cleverer about the options we make available to our customers, perhaps more so than your standard retailers. You might have, say, for example, a standard and a premium service available for delivery. And I think also we're having to be, as a result of that, it means obviously cost to us are higher as a business because we want to make sure those services are available to our customers. But it also means we've got to look at our costs elsewhere. We've really got a warehousing and our costs associated with that are really dynamic. And we're not, you know, sending people on very long pick lanes with manifest trying to find products. These warehouses that we've now got our products in really have to be on the ball and we have to reduce all of our costs there to make sure we can get that great service and great price to the customer. Can you describe the type of packaging that is used at Lovecraft? A large portion of our dispatches soft goods, so we're talking about yarns, which obviously are very pliable when it comes to delivery. So we deliver most of our orders out in mailing sacks, but what we do have a really huge focus on is making sure packaging that we use is biodegradable or recyclable where possible. But as I said, given the range of products that we sell, we do have to be a little bit clever, should we say, about how we go about that. The only thing I'd say that we real focus is making sure that where we don't use anything that's recyclable, we make sure it's reusable. So for example, we deliver all of our yarns in these beautiful organza bags, mainly because we want to protect the yarn on delivery and we don't want to just sort of pop it in a mailing bag with all the other bits and pieces that the customers are purchasing because we don't want it to get snagged or caught. But actually, it means that our customers can use those organza bags as project bags for each of their many craft projects they're working on. They can reuse those bags for each of them. And actually, we get phone calls requests to just send customers organza bags where they've got a new project and they've run out of project bags. So I guess our customers must like them. Packaging is a real focus for us. And I think, it, as with a lot of companies, and removing plastics altogether, but recyclable or not. And that's our next initiative, actually, to ensure that we can do that in a way that doesn't compromise the customer's delivery experience or, say, damages on route. How important is your returns process to your customers? Returns is key, I would say. Returns for us is really critical because our customers want to know that they're going to get their refunds but I think they've returned really quickly. They don't want to have to chase us and call us to find out when they're going to get their refunds. And it's proving really, really common, a complaint across customers generally, not necessarily in our business, but certainly elsewhere. It tends to become really hard work, actually. And it puts them off from buying to start with. And I think there was always a bit of an old-fashioned opinion that, you know, a customer doesn't worry about returns until the goods arrive because actually, you know, they're buying because they really want that item and they're probably not going to return it. But actually, I think that's one of the first things customers check when they purchase online, particularly now, is how can I return it? And how can I return it in a cost-effective way and I get the money back as quickly as possible? Particularly when you're dealing with sort of international markets where goods are traveling a long distance. So returns for us are really key in terms of making sure that our customers don't feel that they are having to wait for refunds and that the experience is good. I think free returns particularly, almost a given now. So like customers feel quite aggrieved if they have to pay for them. Um, and I think it's down to companies to ensure that they can offer them. And certainly within their main markets, you know, the bulk of their customer base know exactly where they stand with returns before they purchase. 
And I think also we've returned to the other question that customers have is, is variety. Again, in the past, you were able to just, you know, pop a Rawmail return label on, drop at your post office, and, and that was fine. But actually, customers don't want to go out anymore to the post office and shoe up and, and wait to return an item. They want to have the options, and they want to be able to either drop it at a collect plus point or a Hermes parcel shop, or they want it to be collected from their front door. You know, they, they want a variety of options. And a lot of those include the in-store, so the collaborations with large supermarkets or large chain stores, where they can drop off parcels to return in convenient locations like that as well. So I think, again, from a demanding point of view, that's one of the areas that customers are really looking to get that extra special service that doesn't actually have to cost your business a great deal, but will overall improve your retention dramatically. Which retailer stands out to you as the new king of retail? I think in the past it would always have been Amazon who were automating all their warehouses and making them all lovely and robotic and, you know, really efficient in that respect. Actually, I disagree now. I think the companies that are really moving things forward are the smaller companies who are trying to really utilise and efficiently use their warehouses. So, you know, it's all going to well buying a few billion pounds warehouse and sticking robots in it, but actually how much analysis is being done and how efficient and effective that is, and what's the return rate on your spend on that? I mean, I think if you're a huge multinational company, I'm sure that's incredibly efficient. But for those retailers that are not quite that scale, it's just not so feasible, and it means that we're having to be cleverer about how they go about it. The really small players, actually, the likes of, for example, Jigsaw and Whistles, who are doing warehousing really efficiently and on a medium scale, and able to really ensure great customer service from experience point of view, and they're able to keep their costs low enough that they've got decent margins, and they're also able to utilise their warehousing for both trade and e-commerce, because in the past people have generally had specialist warehouses, you know, an e-commerce specific warehouse for your e-commerce business and your trade warehouse for your bulk, but actually that's just not so efficient anymore. If we can combine the two, and both those areas of the business are just as efficient, I think that's really, really clever. I would say it's those smaller companies who are really working with their warehousing companies or the third-party warehouse providers to really ensure that space is being utilised, that the staff are really happy with the processes, that everything's running like clockwork. Because that hasn't been a focus prior to now, I don't think. Caroline made it really clear that Lovecraft's returns policy is crucial for its customers. We spoke to award-winning startup ZigZag, which takes the pain of returns away from retailers. I'm Al Gary. I'm the CEO and founder of ZigZag Global. The whole concept of ZigZag is to actually be able to provide a localised return solution where the consumer says, I want to return a green jumper because it's uh, too big or too small. And then I I want to choose my carrier option, which is convenient to me. So we choose a a post office or a uh, collection from home, could be a locker. Bring that parcel into a local warehouse where it gets uh, received, scanned, potentially graded and assessed and then that product gets put back on sale so we're reducing the cost of the return for the consumer we're reducing the time the product spends off sale the distance that the product has to travel and also the amount of time for the consumer to get their refund so faster refund equals a happier customer so can you tell me any of the retailers you're working with at the moment yeah we work with large fashion retailers people like Topshop, Selfridges, Gap We're just working on an implementation for Farfetch at the moment. We also work with uh, large 3PLs like the Ontario Supply Chain and Wincanton. We work with over 100 different carrier services around the world. So 
DHL, Royal Mail, Hermes, FedEx and so on to enable that local collection or drop-off for the consumer. What does a winning retailer look like in 2019? Right now, I think the, the pure plates are leading the way. The traditional bricks and mortar retailers are still playing catch-up. It's now over 80% of customers are checking the returns policy before they're making a purchasing decision. So returns are now more important than price. Less than half of the customers compare the price and over 80% check returns policy. So it's a, it's a big shift in consumer behaviour in the last few years. And the consumer expectation is now around a convenient, sometimes free, but easy to understand and transparent returns policy. We're looking at retailers who've got a good delivery proposition as well. So same day or next day delivery, standard, a good international proposition to be able to accept free returns from international markets is becoming increasingly important and retailers that are doing a good job of international are the ones that are leading the way. To my readers, logistics directors, warehouse managers, how does this type of reverse logistics process improve their lives? It's a dream. Uh, <laughs> it's basically full visibility before the goods have even left the customer. So you know what's going out, what's coming back. You know the propensity of a customer to return. You know when the goods are going to arrive, you know which carrier they're on. You know why the customer returns. So we're collecting lots of data during the journey. Uh, so who, what, where, when, why, and how these products are coming back. And then we've got lots of good reporting that allows the retailer to see which suppliers are causing problems, which products should be taken off sale because the image isn't right, which sizing is incorrect for various different markets, which carriers are doing a good job or a bad job, and is your packaging up to scratch so are goods arriving damaged and, and could you avoid that simply just by making a tweak in your either your outbound carrier or your outbound packaging. So from a warehouse manager's point of view, you've got advanced warning, forecasting ability to know what's coming in. You may not even need to handle those returns coming back in because we could handle them remotely in the local market and it gives you an extension to plug into an extra 200 warehouses to add to your estate so that you can offer that localised experience anywhere. So the high street isn't dead but it's, it's certainly evolving and we do see a need for merging the online with the offline experience. So this might mean in our world buy in line, return in store, buy in store, return online, or buy in a store, get a digital receipt, and then be able to return straight from that digital receipt and bring that product back into the supply chain in a convenient method. Very much all will be about convenience. When do you want to return that item? How do you want to return it? Which carrier is going to pick it up from you? Are you going to drop it off? Do I want to pay for that return or do I want a free return? So I might have a free option that's a post office, but if I want the convenience of that collection, I'm actually quite happy to pay for that. I'll pay a few euros to, to have the uh, carrier to, to collect it from my doorstep. Who's doing it best with retailer? Right now, we think Selfridges are making a really big step change in their behaviour. We've seen them transform their business over the last 12 to 18 months, and they're making some very exciting steps forward, which is good to see from a very traditional retailer that's making step into the online world and, and actually financially you know they're, they're, they're doing well and it's good to see they're bucking the trend from an online pure play perspective there's a few that stand out but i, I think uh, obviously amazon 
lead the way and, and continue to be the benchmark. Al shared some interesting return rates, which were higher than I expected. So return rates can be anything from a few percent in electricals up to as high as 70% in fashion. So countries like Germany have the highest return rates in Europe and other German-speaking countries like Switzerland and Austria uh, can be well over 60% returns, particularly in women's fashion. Women are the worst offenders, or our favourite customers, as we like to <laughs> call them. So they tend to buy more, they try on more, and they'll buy multiple sizes. They're actually buying with the intention of returning a product. Typically, we would see people buy two or three sizes, and they know that they're going to return a product. We just don't know which product. So our job is to help get those products back into the supply chain on day three or four rather than day 34, while the value of those goods is still very high. And we find that the earlier the products come back in the supply chain, the better condition the goods are in. So it's really important to have that automation process that whilst it might seem slightly counterintuitive, it actually prompts the customer to return. If we can predict there is going to be return on this order anyway, it makes more sense to bring that order in the supply chain much earlier in that journey. It's interesting to hear some of the ways that retailers are retailing. Neil helped paint a really interesting picture of what the future looks like, and it looks quite fulfilmenty, I'd say. Words like store and fulfilment seem redundant, to be honest, even as I use them in the context of the stores we've discussed. What's emerging is something new, something completely digital, fascinating to watch, that will remain unnamed, I think, for now. A lot of the challenges, or just tasks which are part of the day job, are still 20th century ones. Reverse logistics is still difficult. It's been interesting to hear how both Lovecrafts and ZigZag are improving those returns processes in the 21st century, for customers, for operators, and crucially for the planet. So we haven't really picked a king but I'd say we don't really want one king, do we? Probably best to share the power. Decathlon is one of the leading sports retailers in the UK. The French company's presence in the UK has grown exponentially in the last couple of years, more than doubling its store count in the country. Its upcoming opening in Ealing Broadway will take its total number of UK stores to 45. The company's store expansion has meant it had to increase the size and operations of its industrial activities. This has meant that it took the decision to relocate to a larger warehouse site in Northampton late last year. Based now in the Brackmills Industrial Estate, moving in from their old site just five minutes down the road, the 275,000 square foot site gives the retailer the ability to service its increased number of stores and provide online fulfillment, helping to ensure deliveries are made within 24 hours. But that's not all. The warehouse will also be home to a repair service, rather than previously in store, hiring engineers to solve product issues. The move means it will give in-store staff members the chance to focus on offering dedicated customer service. Decathlon partnered with French company Bargen with the project representing the property investors' first foray in the logistics property market in the UK. The project has been over two years in making, said Decathlon's UK expansion manager Ricardo Rodriguez. Speaking at Decathlon's new site, Ricardo started off by telling me about how pleased they were to work with Bargen. 
I feel very lucky to have uh, found Barjan and to be able to develop a business relationship with them because they totally understand our values and our business discussions have been sort of founded on our principles, our values, our business um, statements and, and that's quite hard to find. Barjan's development director in the UK, Jonathan Buck, also added his thoughts. Being a responsible property investor and always looking after its customers and clients, we shared the same visions as Decathlon in this project and wanted to support them in their expansion program here in the UK and were able to meet those objectives on mutually acceptable terms which met our financial objectives but also our social, economic and environmental objectives. You mentioned the old site just down the road from here. What were its main limitations and when did you decide that now was really the time that you had to relocate to this site? Probably three years into occupying the old building, right. we realised that uh, our growth projections were coming through and uh, we were quickly running out of space. But uh, we had an, an objective to remain in the local area because yeah. we wanted to ensure that uh, the jobs that we have created stayed in Northampton and uh, we also wanted to, to develop the local economy by having additional jobs in the local area. Warehouses are becoming much more modern and, and automated. Did you feel automation had to be part of the forefront of this build? In due course, automation will play a significant part in our operation of the building. I suppose once we settle down and uh, over the next few months we cement the operation of the building, we'll start using the automated systems which will free people to do other tasks within the building because don't forget we also offer all these services to our customers in terms of repairs of uh, different equipments so there will be still the need for people to do other manual tasks so that's one. Ricardo also touched on some of the key features regarding the warehouse including increased storage capabilities. Split the building in two, we have half of it underneath the mezzanine is for the online picking. The one item at the time, the small sizes, online deliveries, and then we have the high storage bulk items, which are mostly sent to stores uh, with big quantities within each of the boxes. At the moment, that's the only two systems we have. What were the challenges you faced when speaking to Ricardo and his team at the Decathlon in, in creating a, a purpose-built site that meets their operational requirements as a sports goods retailer? I don't think there were many challenges, to be honest. We have the same objectives and the same goals, and that was to produce, hopefully, an award-winning project at some point in time in the near future, which is of great significance to Decathlon. It certainly is for Bajan, being their first investment here in the UK, and being able to offer all of these employee uh, well-being facilities as part of their employment experience here at this park. Ricardo closed our discussion by touching on how Decathlon will deal with the challenges of Brexit and emphasises on the company's positive approach to employee well-being. Well, David, we are just going to carry on doing the best we can in the UK. We believe in the country. We've been here for almost 20 years and the sports sector is growing. People are becoming more health aware, more health conscious and everybody wants to become a healthier person and we are there to serve them. It's quite clear that our brand notoriety is increasing and while the retail sector as a whole, the high street debacle as a whole is, is slightly worrying, 
uh, we just are uh, going to persist and relentlessly keep going at it and uh, hopefully come victorious at the other end. We just seen here some of your staff playing uh, some football as well. Employee well-being is core fundamental part to Decathlon's warehouse project here. It is a fundamental part of Decathlon UK as a whole, not just the warehouse. We believe that happy employee uh, makes a, a better company and we have invested heavily in, in making sure that this building becomes one of the best places to work, if not the best place to work in Northampton, in the Brackmills Industrial Estate. We are quite proud to shout about it mm. and as you can see, mm. I hope you can appreciate that the guys are coming for a break and they're just playing football, mm. tennis, basketball, uh, which surely is going to make them feel a lot more energized when they go back. And, uh, and and that's what we want to do, uh, spread across our network of stores. And it extends well. uh, uh, through the local communities. We are working with Northampton University. We are doing the recruitment days, logistics, as far as I'm concerned, mm. has this stigma of being boring and quite grim. We want to change that. We want to make logistics a very, very sexy activity. And uh, we do recruitment days. We're working with Brackmills Bead. We're launching Brackmills um, community from our site. We are mixing with the community. We are inviting people to come over. We are planning to, to organize sport tournaments for the Brackmills community. And we have a click and collect that we've spread the word about within the community of Brackmills. Uh, we just want to be a part of the Brackmills State community and the logistics in general, so that's where we are today. Thank you so much, Jonathan no and Ricardo, for your time. Cheers. Welcome. You're welcome. Just in case you aren't aware, SHD Logistics hosts an annual conference and this year the event returns to the British Museum in London on the 14th of May. We are really delighted to welcome NHS Supply Chain's Logistics Director and Supply Chain Director for our keynote session, as well as speakers from companies such as XBA Logistics, Kingfisher, Budweiser Brewer, AB InBev, Hermes and Wincanton. We have an early bird booking rate of 245 plus VAT, which closes on Thursday the 14th of March. So to book a place, all you have to do is go to www.logisticsconference.co.uk, where you can also view the full agenda. recently did a live recording of the logistics podcast which was a first for us and a lot of fun. It was at a workforce event called Kronos Live near Heathrow. We had audience members from companies like DHL and GIST. The topic was humans plus robots and I interviewed a small but excellent panel which included Peter Ward from the UKWA and Professor John Mannersbell from Transport Intelligence. Here's a clip. Peter Johnson from DHL. At the moment, there's a plethora of different robotic designs being developed. Is there any collaboration going on at any sort of level to try and create global standards to assist with the adoption of this sort of technology? John, if you could start. Briefly, I would say not that I'm aware of, apart from the fact that everything is being standardised around maybe Amazon or maybe some of these other big e-commerce companies because they are the ones who are driving robotic and technology um, development and investment. And what tends to happen is that they lead the way and others follow with them. 
Yeah, I'd agree. And it does take time. It probably took the industry at least 10 years to agree on a common barcode standard. You know, these things do take time. We've seen it, haven't we, with data integration from all the various um, sort of EDI messaging formats. It will take time. And again, just goes to prove that I think we're, as far as the logistics sector is concerned, we're at the start of the process here or maybe just off the starting lines of a process. So there's a lot to do. To hear the full feature, please make sure you download the next episode, which is out 7th of May. Finally, I'd like to thank all our guests for taking part this episode. And remember, we'll be back with our next one in May. Please tell your colleagues about us and review us as it helps other logisticians to find us. Bye for now.